0: your championship listen to this crowd Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond here's Grant McCauley hello again and welcome to another episode of from the diamond As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time after a brief break to jump back in and talk about what's been going on with the Atlanta Braves, who, of course, are coming off the all-star break, but the Braves are dealing with some pretty bad news with the season-ending injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. Atlanta has already moved to make a deal to hopefully at least put a patch on that for a while and assess what's going to be happening here over the next couple of weeks, which, as we'll get into on this show, I think you're going to tell the tale of the Atlanta Braves season in the year 2021. There's a lot to get to and to help me get through all of it. Zach Dillard of Bally Sports is going to jump on with me and we'll discuss the latest goings on with the Atlanta Braves and what to expect as we move into a very pivotal two-week stretch for Atlanta heading up to the trade deadline. Before we do any of that, though, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please continue to leave those ratings and reviews. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to tell a friend and share the show. I always appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore. You can find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley there. The show is at FromTheDiamond with no underscore. And everything I've got for you, including every episode of the show and any articles, videos, or other content, you can find it at FromTheDiamond.com. So to help me talk about what's been going on with the Atlanta Braves, and goodness gracious knows there's been a lot of it, I want to welcome Zach Dillard into the show You can follow his work on Twitter at Zach underscore Dillard. Zach, it's been way too long since we've gotten to sit down and talk about the Atlanta Braves, and obviously quite a bit has happened in the interim. How are you doing today?
1: Just a little bit has happened, Grant. I'm doing good. How are you doing, man?
0: (laughs) I'm doing really, really well. I've been looking forward to having you back on the show because I feel like we always have a good time, and over the last few years, there have been a lot of good times surrounding the Atlanta Braves and the trajectory overall of the club, but... 2021 has given us a little bit of a different direction. I don't think one that we were really expecting uh, the last time we talked about it, which would have been back in March.
1: Yeah, I, I think if you would have put us in a time machine and go back to March and had said that the Braves are leading this division and run differential and they had put together a, a decent roster and everything like that, you would have felt like this is a team that's going for four straight division titles, but it just hasn't worked out that way And certainly injuries come into play. Um, This has not been a team that we expected to see. I mean, you look at just their opening day roster and just so many pieces of the puzzle are not there. And that's not even including an injury to a guy like Mike Soroka that I think if, again, you threw us back in that time machine, we would have said around this time, we probably expected Mike Soroka to be on the mound and being Mike Soroka again. And not only do you not have him, but you have so many injuries to the rotation. You look at even unfortunate incidents like Hoskarinoa Noah like, punching a bench. Like great. There have just been so many weird things that have happened to this team, and just the inconsistency has built up for them, honestly. I mean, the longest winning streak they have right now is four games, Yeah, and that's not how the second half can go for them if they expect to make a push in the NL East. And I was looking this up. The last time this franchise did not string together a single winning streak of five plus games in a season was 1988. Wow. Like they have been so inconsistent. And honestly, as you come out of this all star break, you're right into the mix with the Rays, the Padres and the nine games against the Phillies and Mets. They have to go on a run. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the, the end of the story. And it can't be a, another four game winning streak. They have to go on a run to prove that they can be contenders again
0: yeah they really do about two or three weeks ago I think I was talking on the show about how the Braves need to have two goals number one to win the day number two the larger scale goal of course is to win series and they've done that against some teams in which they really needed to win those series and then they've done the exact opposite against some clubs that you can't afford to lose series like that and the Braves begin the second half with a 44 and 45 record they're four games behind the Mets in the National League East standings Atlanta never made it over 500 in 89 first-half games, which is kind of astounding if you didn't actually watch them play on a nightly basis, which I would describe as maddeningly inconsistent, that first half of baseball. And it doesn't even begin to cover the why of it all, which is why we're here. And what we're going to do on this episode (laughs) is try to maybe point at a few things. Some of them are going to be pretty obvious. People can figure them out themselves. Some of them may just really tell the story about what the second half of atlanta braves baseball could look like but to me it it really is amazing that this team is even around 500 given the way that things have unfolded as you touched on and while that news about mike Soroka was certainly disappointing it's the loss of ronald acuna jr that's a blow to this club that i don't think can be overstated the braves will be without their superstar leadoff man for the rest of the season after he tore the acl in his right knee down in miami And while the Braves have already made a trade that we're going to discuss a little bit, I think it's worth underscoring one pretty obvious fact here, Zach. Ronald Acuna Jr. is simply not the kind of player you can replace.
1: Irreplaceable is the exact word that I was thinking as you were talking about that, is that it doesn't matter who they go out and get. You cannot replace Ronald Acuna Jr. And there was a lot of talk coming out of the second half, and I think his injury was already factoring into this. Yeah, But he'd be right at the top of the list of the NL MVP frontrunners leading all position players uh, in the National League in Fangraph's war, and he's just so special, whether it is in the field with his arm, what he does on the base paths, obviously just setting the table, top of the lineup, the incredible power, and I think more than anything that I'm so curious to see what this team looks like in the second half Yeah, because really we only got one game without it, and it wasn't a very – Impressive game, nope. the one game they played in the first half without Ronald in the series in Miami. What does this team look like from just a joy and a fun perspective? And he just brings so much energy yes. and so much excitement. And and we know what it is. Like People go to the ballpark. People turn on their televisions. They log into their computer, to their social media, to see what Ronald does on a nightly basis. Absolutely. And what does this team look like without that? Um I think there should there there are obvious concerns. I mean we were on with Alex Anthopoulos last night and you know you cannot replace Ronald Acuña Jr. and I am I'm fascinated to see how that unfolds for this team, how they look on a nightly basis without that guy. And I know Freddie's the MVP and I know that Ozzy gets talked about as kind of that spark plug and that, you know, just that smiling face, but Ronald is He's everything to this team. He's the engine for this team, and without that engine, I wonder how far the car can go.
0: Yeah, it's a very good question, and energy and excitement and that must-watch factor. You don't have just an endless supply of those players on one team, let alone across the game of baseball. I mean, he's in some very select company that you just feel like wherever this guy is, something special can happen out there, whether it's at the plate, in the field, on the base paths, ronald just seems to live in those moments and really thrive off of those moments i know you mentioned as far as the uh, fan graphs war and some of the other ways that we can evaluate ronald acuna jr but just the good old-fashioned statistical value that i look at this is a guy that had 162 game pace and he was playing every day for 48 home runs 100 plus runs batted in 30 plus stolen bases and nearly 145 runs scored that's what he was on pace for through half of a season. The Braves were a 500-club or thereabouts with Ronald Acuna Jr., so I guess it brings up a fairly obvious question, and we'll spend a lot of time discussing the different factors that can be here, but, Zach, I have a hard time imagining that the Braves are a 500-or-better club without Ronald Acuna Jr.
1: I wouldn't have thought so, but I wouldn't have thought they were a sub-500-club with him. So I don't think that they can replace him. I don't think that the production will be there. I'm really curious at who hits leadoff for them. Now that they've kind of shuffled some pieces around. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about one of the four or five most special players out there. I mean, in terms of, at least in terms of position players. I mean, when I think of can't miss guys, it's Vladdy, it's Acuna, it's Mm -hmm. Tatis, it's Otani, and it's Soto. I mean, for me, that, I mean, he is in the elite of the elite company right now in all of baseball in terms of who you want to watch, who you have to see. Yeah, And we don't get that for the second half of the season. And then who knows how long in the first half of next season. And that is uh that's a really depressing no doubt. Uh, concept just as a baseball fan, much less a baseball fan that watches, you know, every single minute of every single game of an Atlanta Braves baseball game. So when the injury happened, they hadn't won that game. So they were still a game below 500. Mm-hmm. They got to 500 during that game, but it felt like that was it, right? Like it just felt like that was the final straw in a season that they haven't been able to put things together, and I could be wrong there. I mean, yeah. th- so much of the season has been that inconsistency that you mentioned, but it's also like this idea that like they haven't been able to get all their pieces on the same page mm-hmm. at the same time. And you know, looking back, like through May, they had a top ten offense. Yeah. You know, they ranked tenth in run score, they were eighth in weighted runs created plus. At the same time, they were twenty second in ERA. And then from June through the through the all-star break, their starting rotation kind of put everything together. They, they were did. kind of a top five, really top did. ten group. And you start to see Morton and Smiley put things together. And Kyle Muller looked fantastic in, in a little in the short run that he was on. Um, and at that time the offense falls to, you know, fifteenth, kind of middle of the pack. And that kind of oversimplifies things because they scored like twenty percent of their runs in two games. Yeah. That part of it to me is like <laughs> Even with Ronald out of the picture, and the bullpen's been bad pretty much the entire time, but like even with Ronald out of the picture, can they figure out a way to just get that sort of starter production matched mm-hmm. with some offensive consistency and some bullpen, you know, kind of uh if they could piece that together, this isn't like an insurmountable lead. No, we've not seen at this all. before. Not at all. But I think so much of this is very interesting, is like, this team and so many of these players have really never gone through this and it kind of it kind of seems like even the fan base but i I wonder if the players are in this mindset too of like eventually it's going to click mm-hmm. right like uh, we've heard this from like ian anderson and mike Soroka when he was talking about like his uh his achilles injury he was just like i feel like we're just we're right there and like it's like they've waited all season for something to click. Yeah, um, and I don't know if it will without Ronald. I really don't. Like, I I don't want to like make this a depressing podcast, but like that part of it is unknown. But they do have. I think the playoff odds were like eight to twenty percent, depending on where you, you know, go who, for them. where you looked at. Right. It, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but again, these next two weeks are just crucial, and they have to start making moves and they just did make a move on the roster side, but they have to start making moves in the standings and in the division as well.
0: Yeah, they really do. And look, I've seen the Braves over the course of you know my lifetime, both as a fan and also working in the media industry, covering this team and working in and around the club for you know, the better part of a decade and a half. Like I've seen a lot of different Braves baseball teams that have done some things I didn't expect. I've also lived the disappointments that I think all of us have, if you're listening to this podcast or sitting in behind a microphone on this podcast. like We've seen some things go wrong. It's just... Looking at the Ronald Acuna Jr. injury, no matter how you want to, you know, slice it, this is one that really hurts the Braves. It's a loss for baseball as well, because as Zach pointed out, you got about five or so good young stars that have all seemed to kind of break onto the scene right around the same time, all having, I think, different levels of success up and until the twenty twenty one season. But it all seemed to be coming together for a bunch of these guys. And, you know, we're gonna have plenty of time, I think, to watch all of their career span but if you're an Atlanta Braves fan while all those other guys are great and can continue to be great Ronald Acuna Jr. was something I think that put all eyes on the Braves from a fan base perspective and I really don't think morale wise you can overstate how important Ronald was to this team he set the tone on the offense and just thinking about the Braves offense and I did send that tweet out about you know 20 percent of the Braves runs scored on the season all coming in a couple of games it was not meant to be a misleading stat but then people were like well why don't you take away the worst pitching performances well I'm here to tell you there's still nearly a half a run difference between the offense and the pitching staff with the worst of the worst taken out on both sides of those so what I'm pointing at is not hey the Braves are terrible if you take away these two games it's hey I think we know why they're a 500 team in games that they don't score 20 or more runs or just below 500 as the case may be because his offense isn't doing that kind of thing or anything close to it on the average night so uh, we can extrapolate a lot of other different offensive stats as we go along and we're going to figure out what the Braves offensive profile is now without their most prolific hitter no matter how you want to look at who was leading the Braves offense in 2020 it may have been Freddie Freeman's year in fact it was if he's a National League MVP I'll go ahead and say you know Freddie was the guy driving the car last year he had a lot of help from Marcelo Zuna that's not going to be a thing again this year and perhaps in the future either that's still to be determined a lot of things have changed since the Braves penciled in that first lineup for Brian Snitker and took it out to the umpire on opening day and not a lot of it has been changed for the better for the Braves and that's been a really disappointing thing you know save a handful of guys who are having good individual seasons this club on the whole has just been inconsistent and that inconsistency is not going to win them a fourth consecutive division title and beyond that it's not going to get them to their ultimate goal, which was contending for a World Series, which I think, Zach, it was pretty safe to say that the Braves had their eyes on getting back and getting over the last hurdle to get to the World Series. And then, of course, that's a pretty big hurdle in and of itself. This has to be pretty disappointing, just in, not in the fact that the Braves are sitting in last place 20 games below 500, but they don't really feel, I don't think, much closer to their goal right now. It's just been a season in which nothing has seemed to go according to plan.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're a game away from getting to the World Series, and then you're, you know, you're a game away from ever getting over 500 throughout the first half. It's not exactly the sort of pattern that you were hoping to follow. But I'd be curious from you. I mean, this is all bad news, obviously. Uh, A bunch of injuries have happened. But I think one positive that you could look to the second half, regardless of buyer, seller, roster moves that they make you know, a big hole that they have had this season that they really haven't at all for like the three or four years is that catcher. And Travis Darnot, when is he able to get back in this lineup? When is he able to, if he's able to still tap into what he was in 2020? Because right now, the only team that's gotten worse production at the catcher spot is the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, And we just haven't been used to that. You know, polarizing figure, though he may be, Tyler Flowers was a part of like three, four straight, Catching platoons that finish top three, top five Mm -hmm. in value every single season, whether it was with uh, Kurt Suzuki or with AJ Prasinski. Like the Braves have had great production at the catching platoon. Yeah. Not with Mm -hmm. like one guy, there there hasn't been a real Muto, but like the position itself, they've been able to get enough production and it just hasn't worked out this year. Whether it was William Contreras, Alex Jackson, uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, it, Jonathan Lucroy's been fine since he arrived, but this is not what the Braves had in mind entering this season at the catching spot. No, uh, when you had uh, Travis won the Silver Slugger last year, mm-hmm. right? Or he like was right there in it. So when you have that sort of production lost, um, if they're able to get that back in the second half, you know, I think that that could be something where you look at this team and you start putting the pieces together. But even with a healthy Darno. I'd be curious from, like, where are you going at the top of your lineup now?
0: Well, that's a really good question. And I think some of the obvious candidates are Ozzy Albies. And I would have said in years past, I would say Dansby Swanson, even as recently as last year. But his strikeout rate this year and the walk rate that's just not there with it, I just don't know if that's the guy I want to turn to in this particular position at this time, uh, that position in the batting order, that being So I don't really know if you've got a lot of options up there. And I'm also not subscribing to the, hey, well, you know, Adrianza's fast, so let's just put him up there. I just don't think that he's a a particularly well-suited baseball player, everyday guy. And I think his career numbers pretty much bear that out. Same can be said for Guillermo Heredia and same can be said for Abraham Almonte. And and by the way, with the Braves making this Jock Peterson trade, which we're going to jump into in a moment, that's going to change the playing time of the outfield as well and i think we've all seen all the chapters written that are going to be written about ender ncrt leadoff man at least that's my takeaway so i don't expect to see that either but as you look at what the braves have in their outfield or more specifically what they don't have now that is any of the outfielders that they were planning on being their starting three out there for the the lion's share of the 2021 season if not beyond because you have Ronald signed long term he just re-signed Marcelo Zuna and of course Christian Ponce. he was supposed to be the young star on the rise and this was going to be his year to you know break into the big leagues officially after being a big part of the Braves playoff club that was again a win away from the World Series last year so I don't know that there's really an answer to that question right now and if there is an answer to that question maybe it's not on the roster yet. And that question has to be answered by how well can the Braves play over the next couple of weeks to tell Alex Anthopoulos that if I go out and get A, B, or C player, or maybe I have to get A, B, and C to try to supplement this club, we may not have the answer to that. But if you're asking me one guy that I think could be put at the top of the order, maybe Ozzy Albies makes the most sense. But then again, he has been kind of the guy carrying the weight in the middle of the lineup behind freddie freeman to provide production austin riley has done really well but he's a middle of the order hitter the braves five through eight in their lineup this year has been nothing short of disappointment Even when you get uh, Travis Darnot back, I'm still not sure where all the pieces fit with no Ronald Acuna Jr., whether you loved him or hated him in the leadoff spot for a variety of reasons because, hey, he should be hitting all those homers with runners on base, or in the case of me, hey, this thing's working. I'm never going to mess with this as long as he enjoys hitting leadoff and stays engaged in the game. I like him exactly where he is. The team is just simply not as good without Ronald Acuna Jr., and it's the most obvious statement that I can make. But I just don't know that there's anybody currently on the roster that I say, that looks like our leadoff man, at least for the short term, to get this thing turned around. Did you have anybody in particular in mind?
1: No, I mean, I think Ozzy. I'm, I'm right there with you. Ozzy is the most obvious candidate as somebody who's switch hitter. putting together, yeah, switch hitter, putting together a good season, eight, hitting 18% above league average. But I think something that gets lost so much with Ronald Acuna Jr., and it gets lost in the highlights, and the home runs and the extra base hits is just how much better he has got, how much improvement he has shown in plate discipline, in drawing walks, in working counts. Uh, He leads this team right now with a 394 OBP. Uh, Mm -hmm. Freddie's the closest at 381. And, you know, the walk rates just jumped up. He's just become such a complete hitter. And sure, everybody's going to go through their slumps. And it, like that's just part of the nature of the game but I, I think we've seen so much maturity from Ronald at the top of the lineup in not just being that spark plug power yeah. but also now he is your he is your pro not not your prototypical but he is exactly what you want in that leadoff spot which is getting on base in front of the guys uh in front of guys like Freddie Freeman but also providing you know giving your best hitter the most plate appearances he's he's becoming a perfect. Lead off hitter. And now we have to transition to yes, Ozzy's hitting 18% above league average, mm-hmm. but his OBP is at 323. Yeah. You mentioned Janzy Swanson, OBP at 300, really not where you want. I can't, I can't give uh, him a all those at bats speed. right now. I mean, I even
0: with those, and I'm sure neither one of us are saying, hey, he's fast, throw him in the leadoff spot because those days of constructing a lineup that way, you got to dig deeper than that.
1: No, no, no. It, it's not a Ozzy's fast. He's the only option. It's a, Ozzy is still a plus hitter and sometimes sometimes a plus plus hitter. He's an all-star player and he leads the National League in extra base hits, or he was right there at he's the, there. At the yep. end of the mm-hmm. at the half. So like he's getting he can put himself in scoring position at any given moment. Um, you know, we've seen from you know good plate discipline from Abraham Almonte. We've seen uh Heredia has a higher OBP, Adrianza has a higher OBP than Ozzy, but the trust factor, I don't know where that is, and I don't know who is going to be in the lineup every day, because you mentioned with Jock Peterson coming in, um, it, it, is Almonte and Adrianza going to be your steady leadoff hitter, or are they going to start rotating? Uh, and you have Orlando Arcia who's been at left field. So there's a lot of uncertainty at the outfield spot, which makes it, if you're trying to replace your leadoff hitter with another outfielder, you don't really know where they're going to go with that. So I would agree with you, probably Ozzy. And I think if you can get into a situation where, if Ozzy has a good second half, and you can have Ozzy, Freddie, and you do can kind of get healthy with uh, Darno, Peterson, Austin Riley hitting behind Freddie. You know, you can start to piece together what that looks like, and it's not it's not like a bottom of the barrel offense, no. at least in offensive profile. But you have to have good health, and you have to have guys start clicking at the same time.
0: I want to bring up a couple of numbers about Ozzy that I do think are good to see. Number one, he was just not walking at all in 2020. He's doubled his walk rate. It's back up to where it was in 2019, which is still under 8%. That's not great. But his strikeout rate is also down nearly yep. 7 or 8% from what it was a year ago. His batting average on balls in play, and I pointed this out a lot for Freddie Freeman and a lot for Marcelo Zuna, who were both at or near the bottom of the 145 or so qualified hitters in baseball about six weeks or so ago, Ozzy was right there with him so he's another guy that for whatever you want to look at has not necessarily hit the ball into the most fortunate positions let's call it that it's a, it's a really fancy way of saying <laughs> his luck hasn't been great but either way the walk rate if it was around 10 to 11 percent i think that would be great maybe he gets there one day we'll see how that all works out he's not striking out at an alarming rate but even though he's picked up a lot of extra base hits maybe he's about you know 10 or 12 singles shy of having a batting average on balls in play of where you would more like to see it and where i'm sure he would more like to see it because it would mean more base hits but this is a guy who is a pretty good all-around hitter i do like having a switch hitter so your lineup doesn't have to change because okay well now we don't want the lefty hitter up there let's move him down let's move the righty to the leadoff spot it's continuity i love continuity especially if it leads to runs being scored but i don't know how that's going to look either now we do want to talk about the jock peterson trade and maybe now would be a good time to kind of stick a pin in it when it comes to the Braves leadoff spot because I don't think we really know who it's going to be even if we have a fairly good candidate in Ozzy Albies and this trade that has been made already again is not going to make up for the loss of Ronald Acuna Jr. So the question really was out there for Alex Anthopoulos is is what can you do to at least counteract that loss and go get some power was the answer to that question that's what he did with the trade on Thursday as he swapped minor league slugger Bryce Ball for Cubs outfielder Jock Peterson uh, we all know very well about Peterson from his time with the Dodgers, perhaps too well last October, and we all know he's going to bring some much-needed support to Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, and company, but this is a far cry from the lineup in the offense that we saw in 2020, and Jock Peterson the last few years. I had to kind of look at the numbers on fan graphs, and there are some, uh, I guess, unfun trends if we want to call them that, Zach. His walk rate has been declining uh, pretty precipitously since 2017. His strikeout rate has climbed up to, you know, that 25% or so mark. That's about a career number for him. Uh, he also has a pretty low batting average on balls in play. Those are some of the negatives I see from the stats. The pluses, though, that I see over the last about two months is the power still there. And that is something that the Braves have found in very short supply, specifically after losing Ozuna, but now even more so without Acuna in the lineup. And also Travis Darno in there as well. He was a pretty big offensive force. The Braves had to get some power from somewhere. Peterson certainly brings that.
1: Yeah, he does. And I think when you look at the walk rate, the strikeout rate, going in the wrong direction, especially this year, he's not protected as much, not being in L.A. He's not in the just extreme platoons that L.A. with the deepest roster ever of course. Uh, was able to put together. Uh, he's been out there a lot more, and he has hit righties a little bit better. Well, we'll call it a lot better uh, this year. Uh, still under league average, not destroying lefties as he usually does. But I think that, as he comes to Atlanta, and Atlanta's probably looking at him more in an everyday role in right field, uh, is a positive. You're not asking, and what I mean by that is like if he had come from L.A., been in these extreme platoons, hadn't hit righties, or hadn't hit lefties at all, the entire season, then all of a sudden Atlanta wants him to be an everyday player, at least he's had a first half now in Chicago yeah. uh, being out there a lot more. And Alex, he said that he would leave that up to Snicker. He didn't just say that You know he's not going to hit against lefties, or they didn't. They don't have really any like concrete plans for when Jock will or will not be in the lineup. And I I don't think anything
0: should really be off bounds for this club at the moment. It's kind of all hands on deck. If you think Jock Peterson is better than Abraham Almonte in general or in a vacuum, go ahead and play him.
1: Exactly. So you're getting you know 11 home runs this year, and Alex was talking about this. Like this is a guy that when he gets going he can carry you. And he said he hasn't had that streak this year. He hasn't had that stretch and we don't have to like look at what Kyle Schwarber did with the Nationals, but <laughs> right. along those lines like when a guy gets going and we we've, we've seen this in past years with Adam Duvall. Like he can go out there and win you a stretch of games.
0: And win a player by, of the week, yeah, by exactly. everything he's doing, yeah.
1: Exactly. And I think that's what they are really hoping for in this next 2 weeks if Jock can just come out of the all- star break uh you know hitting the cover off the ball and we'll see how that all pans out as you mentioned it's all hands on deck Jock is not going to you know this is not going out and getting Chris Bryant no. this is not going out and getting you know a dominant you know frontline starter it's mm-hmm. not what this sort of trade is and you mentioned earlier in this in the show it, it may not be the last move that the Braves make whether it be buying or selling yeah so I will say this. I'm happy that they made it happen Thursday. I'm mm-hmm. happy that Alex Anthopoulos and this front office are going to give this roster a chance to come out of the All-Star break with the best possible chance of you know, doing some damage against the Rays and the Padres, two very good teams, and then nine straight games in the division to see where they are at. Mm-hmm. They didn't just wait around and you know twiddle their thumbs until the trade deadline and see where that roster was. They at least made a move to give this roster an opportunity to go out there and prove that they can contend for the division. And yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like. I certainly have doubts, but I will commend them for that, for not waiting. You know, yeah. let's see how we do against the Rays and Padres, and then we'll try and get a a move over the one-yard line. I I just don't think that that would have been helpful for this team.
0: It wouldn't have been. And I think I remember, and, and really this happens a lot, where a team will be fighting and fighting and fighting and stuff just isn't going right with injuries and different things, but they feel like they've still got something in there to prove. They want at least the opportunity to do it, or perhaps you're playing really well and you're thinking, all right, we put ourselves in a position where the off the front office is going to go out and get a player give us that reinforcements put us over the top and we're going to go on our run i think that would be closer to what the braves are feeling like is you know we need some players to help put us in position to go on that run let's put it that way because i don't think anybody's looking at the braves as a powerhouse type club that they have been the last few years because they haven't played like one yet you look at what peterson's done i mean you brought up the fact that he can get on those runs he's a legit 30 plus homer hitter He can do that kind of thing. He did it out in LA, at least 25 plus home runs, even as a platoon guy. Uh, He's gotten the majority of his playing time, I think, this year in left field with the Cubs, but he could play all three spots, so either corner would probably be fine. And that's certainly helpful when you're without your entire opening day starting outfield. Started out really slow this year, been much better since May. 256, 306, 468, the uh, slash line for Peterson. 10 homers, 35 runs knocked in, 30 runs scored his last 56 games. That doesn't sound like world beating production because it's not but Atlanta has gotten very little from two spots of the outfield, and they just lost their most productive hitter across the board for the rest of the year. So at the very least, Zach, this is a patch for the Braves, and I like the fact that they went out and at least did something to say, okay, we realize that you just suffered a major loss here, or we've just suffered a major loss here in the case of the front office and the team. We have to at least address this to even have that chance to see where we're going to be or if we're going to be anywhere come two weeks from now, because you can't send this club out there i don't think against the san diego padres well first the tampa bay rays then the padres and then the mets and the phillies and all those interdivisional games that are following without having ronald acuna jr maybe being without ian anderson for a period of time we'll find out about that a little bit more and of course some of the other losses the braves have incurred throughout the season you had to do something and alex Anthopoulos did i think with this trade a little bit more than last year getting tommy malone and hoping that that was going to at least address one spot in the rotation because I think we all know how that story ended.
1: Yeah, and I'm and I am curious, you know, everybody's like, Well, Kenny pitch is always your your typical <laughs> so, social media response. Also, <laughs> and, uh, just
0: I, I love that one because then it's <laughs> why are the Braves drafting so many pitchers?
1: <laughs> so that one's that one's always fun. But I will I will say that uh and not to provide cover for a front office, but I'm also curious that how many arms do they go out and get and also just as they get Healthy, And we saw this with the transaction with with Ian Anderson, with Tukey coming back up, who's just been fantastic at Triple A Gwinnett. Kyle Muller has been great. If Tucker Davidson can get, you know, how many, you can't have like seven starters, eight starters on the roster, but could any of those arms that they do have down there, could they be bullpen, you know, could they help out a bullpen as well? And those are just some things that I think that we'll see over the course of the second half. Depending on where this team is competing, but tell me if I'm, I'm curious about this because we saw it a little bit last night with jock. I don't want to say this fan base was like split 50 50, but there was certainly a, a decent contingent. You know, why are they buying? Mm-hmm. And this, this concept of, you know, Ronald's out stroke is out. You're a game under 500. The, the Braves should definitely be sellers. I don't know if I'm off base here, but so much of when I look at this roster and I try and envision the, this, this idea that the Braves just go into sell mode and what they would be selling, I, I think that people just overestimate the returns, especially on rentals. I agree. But you know what you would get for a Charlie Morton, a Drew Smiley, I, I don't see them trading Freddie Freeman, but even trading a star rental, as we learned in the Manny Machado saga a couple years back, and they got one good piece out of it with Diaz, who's still in the in the minors. But like you're not getting this insane deal for rentals and like the money that you may save on contracts, you might lose in ticket sales if you go into sell mode. I, I just let me know if I'm off base there, because I just don't see where this team would just clean up on, in, the, in a seller's market.
0: No, I don't think so, and we've talked a lot about the schedule that the Braves are facing after the All-Star break and how much that's going to tell the tale, at least for the season, if not the trade deadline, most certainly you're going to know what you're going to be doing by the end of this month. The Braves get the Rays, they get the Padres after that, they have those East clubs coming in, they got a lot of stuff going on, they're going to be on the road for some of this, and if they fall flat over the next week or two, then I think they're going to have a pretty clear picture of where this club is, but if you just do absolutely nothing in... An area where you could have done something, then I think as a general manager, you're not tending to all the things that you need to tend to. It would be really easy on the outside looking in to just say, you know what? Mail it in. Let's send it in. Play all the kids. Trade all these guys. But this is not a fantasy team. This GM, Alex Anthopoulos, I think takes a lot of pride in trying to build good teams, going all the way back to the Toronto Blue Jays. No, he doesn't have six World Series rings for all the playoff appearances that his clubs have had over the past few years but i do think that it's important to point out that in as best way that he can with i think we all know a limited amount of payroll in comparison to what some other clubs have had and are going to have based on the ownership situation i'm hoping i'm saying that as clearly and concisely also as politely as i possibly can there are limitations on what he can do but i don't think when you're four games out of a division at the all-star break that you want that to become a pattern of thinking of you know what i think we're not going to make it let's start selling things off you don't want that to be the pattern your club gets into because i can assure you there are some clubs around the league that you can look at that really don't seem to have much of a plan in the long term basis and you can count on all you want hey in the future we're going to have x amount of opportunities and do i think the brave's will yeah i think they've got a club that's built to be a good team and a contending team in the future because they have some great young stars and we'll see what happens with Freddie Freeman. But I look at it as maybe it's delaying the inevitable, but I think you at least have to give what you can up until the time in which you no longer find it feasible to do the things that you set out to do this year. And the Braves may already be there and this can age poorly over the next couple of weeks. And I think it could age very poorly just looking at the schedule and being honest about where the Braves are and where the opponents are going to be. But I think you had to do something here. And if you do look at these veteran pieces, the Braves could deal, whether that's Charlie Morton or Drew Smiley or maybe Will Smith, Shane Green, maybe even Flip Jock Peterson after all of this. And it's not worth going up and down the entire roster for this exercise to say, hey, what could you get for this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy? The Braves have to really just reel off that first run that I often felt was there. And was going to happen at some point, but for all of the injuries, the inconsistency, and the other things that they faced this year, it just hasn't happened. But to what extent the Braves might be sellers, I think to make a long story very short, that kind of remains to be seen. But I wouldn't get over the moon excited about what they would be getting in return for some of the players I mentioned. And I don't think there's any chance they're trading Freddie Freeman. And that's just the way I feel about that. I'm sure a lot of other people agree with it. Maybe it's crazy not to explore it, but. I think that that whole situation is going to be handled outside of whether or not you try to trade Freddie Freeman as a rental heading into the winter. I don't think that would be great for the relations between Freeman and the Braves if you wanted to be here long-term. And that's a whole nother discussion. And
1: the other side of this coin too is, and again, chalk this up to a disappointing season, whatever you want to call it, but also buying smart. Like you're not going to go out there and overpay for a star rental. You're not going to go over there and mortgage the future. And you know, again, this speaking of things that could age poorly. I think uh, when you look at Bryce Ball, um, certainly the power's there. We've all marvelled at you know his BPS and spring training, and uh, you know he's a he's an impressive first base first base prospect, but he struggled. Like he, you know, he's hitting. You know, he's got 750 OPS at age 22 in Rome, and not to say that he can't eventually put things together and become a major league player, but Mm -hmm. buying smart, not feel like you're mortgaging the future uh, to go in. You're you're not in win now mode right now. You know what I mean? Like you still have to find that balance. And I think a Jock Peterson sort of trade kind of strikes that right balance. And, you know, he does have a mutual option. I'll at least throw it out there. Jock is not a straight rental. Um, I, there was some hesitation to, you know, say what the interest level would be there. There's a, there's a buyout. I think it's $2.5 million mm-hmm. as well. And the Braves are responsible for that. And, you know, I think, I, I think that they'll at least approach it. You know, Alex has experience with jock um, from his days with the Dodgers, um, called him a great clubhouse presence. They explored signing jock this off season. Yeah. Which uh, a lot so of people the, were really on board with. Yeah, exactly. There's interest there. There is a mutual respect there. So, I'm not saying that Jock's just like he's going to be here for two months, then he's gone. Or <laughs> to your point, two weeks if you needed to flip him. Um, so there, you know, I, I think buying smart is another piece to that puzzle. Where you know, I, I think at some point, you know, you you hear these names of guys like Trevor Story or Chris Bryant, and yeah, that sounds like it just answers a bunch of questions for your team. The team's productivity to this point has not really built up in that direction in my opinion so i yeah. think you have you kind of put yourself in a position where you have to try and find that bargain and hope a guy like jock peterson gets smart or gets hot
0: yeah uh, and i think that that's a way that you could do it and you you want to make smart trades and i'm trying to figure out the best application of that old phrase pennywise and pound foolish like you don't want to get in this position where you know, you're, you're doing really well in the small stuff, but all the big stuff seems to just careen out of control and get away from you, and you're just not making good decisions there. And I don't think that's necessarily where this front office is or in danger of, but I don't know that, you know, breaking the bank and not just in money, but in prospects to bring in Trevor Story, who absolutely will be a free agent at the end of the year with a club that is in the position it's in right now, doesn't make a ton of sense. Now, if the Braves were up a little bit more and they felt like this is the piece that puts you over the top, then I think you explore trades like that. I mean, I don't know what Chris Bryant's going to end up fetching. I would imagine that the Cubs would like to get as much as they can, but I'm interested to see, and this will take the benefit of time, where all these prospects really land, because I just don't remember, help me if I'm just not recalling right now, all of these trades at the deadline really netting that franchise-changing prospect as much, at least in recent years. There are plenty of examples over the course of the history of baseball with it. I'm not saying that, but just... Lately, it seems like clubs are just not parting with the number one prospect for the rental for a couple of months for the closer or the left fielder or the whoever that you don't have. It just doesn't seem like it's happening quite as often. Now, Off-season trades of top prospects and things, yeah, those things are happening. But at the trade deadline, can you remember, at least recently, an example of the biggest and best top prospects that are going to another club and immediately launching their all-star careers? Because I can't really recall any at the moment.
1: I can't recall any at the moment either. And like I said, like I, I think that teams have just gotten smarter, and whether that be the too much like mindedness at in the front office level, um, but I, I think teams are just seeing that club control over a potential young star is the lifeblood of winning right now. Like it, it is, it is how you build a franchise right now. And the Braves ended up getting. You know, a couple of those guys with guys like Ronald and Ozzy, and they locked them up long-term. But we see this around the sport is, you know, that is the commodity that everyone wants is the Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, that you have that club control over and you build your franchise around. Mm-hmm. And I think teams are just so reluctant to give that guy up. and it And it makes sense. And again, I think teams have just gotten smarter on what am I giving up for two and a half months like and if you and if i don't win a world series like i i basically have lost the trade yeah. um that just has gotten out of the game a lot more i'm sure we're missing a couple examples i'm trying to
0: think of a i'm doing a little research here and i, I found a couple and this around. this might help you out 2016 of course the cubs uh the chapman trade where they gave up glaber torres uh, torres he had a great year in 2019 yeah. last couple of years been a little disappointing White Sox got Eloy Jimenez who has a ton of talent for Jose Quintana. That's yeah. obviously a good deal, but Eloy has yet to really launch his career big time. The Chris Archer trade with the Pirates for Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows and now. Shane Baz, that's not a great one. Otherwise, a lot of these trades and deals, at least the ones that I'm seeing and there may be more and we may end up hearing about it and I just have blanked because hey it's been a long couple of years so to even think about trade deadlines last year's Mm -hmm. was a real snooze fest so I don't think it was last year's that was just like hey remember these six or seven insane trades that happened it didn't happen so uh, regardless of how you look at it I was just gonna
1: say we didn't prep for that part of the podcast and it it shows but that's okay but you're right that's that's some really good knockout research right off the bat I forgot about the Archer deal which is probably the last
0: that's the one I would say but even that's been three years
1: yeah, it's been three years ago. I mean that Quintana was three years ago. Torres was four years No, that was sixteen. Twenty sixteen. So I mean five years. So I mean, we're yeah, so we're again the last two, three years, we have just not seen as much of that overpay in the moment for rentals. And I know guys like Archer weren't rentals, but that one just kind of blew up because Archer mm-hmm. uh, wasn't really the same when he left. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I just don't see that being a thing you know if if we're having this discussion because of freddie freeman um i just don't see i think the pie in the sky this like concept of well we can trade freddie freeman get a future star to go along with ronald mm-hmm. jr and then freddie resigns in the offseason like that all sounds wonderful for any front office and if that were the case i think every front office would do that every single time that they were you know even marginally outside of the picture at the all-star break yeah just not how front offices are operating these days
0: yeah i just don't think you're gonna you know either rebuild your farm system completely or turn your farm system into a next level farm system by trading all of your veteran players away you might get some good players in there i'm not saying it can't happen i'm just saying there just haven't been as many examples like if you go look at top deadline deals at the trade deadline Outside of the historical ones that are, hey, that could you believe that? What a crazy deal. That's great. Usually it's the success that the veteran has at the new team before either leaving and going somewhere else, or maybe he resigns and stays there for a while, but it's never. And this was a win-win because the club that traded, you know, Fred McGriff to the Atlanta Braves really got themselves set up with the three prospects they got. Well, we all know that didn't happen. And then again, there's the other side of that, which is hey, the Texas Rangers were going to the World Series for two years because the Braves decided to trade for Mark Teixeira in a season that was not much unlike this one. So I just don't know where we're at with it, but I wouldn't want to unload the entire Braves farm system buying, but I don't know that you can expect the Braves farm system to get just leaps and bounds better by making a couple of trade deadline deals. Maybe you get smart and you buck those odds and you end up picking the right players, and that, of course, is great. But I guess what I'm saying is your expectations – you might want to just guard those and keep them at a level in which the Braves will let you know in the next couple of weeks what kind of team they have, and I don't know how much selling they're going to do. Do you get the impression, Zach, that even if the Braves are, say, right here a game above or below or right at 500 and they're four or five games back in the division, do you think that they would be bold enough to say, hey, it's July 31st, that was our deadline, and now we're going to sell Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley and Will Smith and we're going to flip jock peterson do you think the braves would even do that because i have a hard time believing that that would be the case
1: yeah i don't see a fire sale i just really don't like i look at this team and even if things don't go their way over the next two weeks I, i just don't see them flipping four or five pieces out the door yeah um now could they could they move one piece for the right deal and sure you know if you moved to drew smiley or charlie borton but you opened up a spot to to give tukey or tucker davidson or kyle muller i don't know like Sure. Like I could potentially see that um, mm-hmm. or move Jock Peterson and you bring up Waters or Pache and August. Sure. I, I don't yeah. sure. I mean, there are some, you know, moves, but in terms of just hitting the eject button on the season, no, I, I think they're just too close in it and business decisions come into this and people don't want to hear this, but you, you know, the idea that, you know, this is a lost season and just forfeiting and punting on two months isn't great at the gate. I think all of those factors come into play as well, which is you want to put a winning product on the field and players want to be a part of a winning product and they want to try and go out there and win every day. At the end of the day, this is still a really, the core of this team is really young. You know, I I don't think you want to get into that mode of selling and forfeiting seasons. And not that the players that are on the field would, but um, they're too close. And I mentioned right off the top of the, on the top, I'm curious if there is some course correction because, you know, the Phillies are ahead of the Braves uh, just a little bit in the division. I think a half game in the division. But they're negative nine in run differential this season. Washington Nationals right behind the Braves, negative 15 in run differential. Uh, The Braves are still the top team in this division when it comes to run differential. If you go by, you know, expected wins and losses, the Braves would be right there at the top of this division. The Mets have been pretty fortunate. Uh, play, you know, the Braves have just been, you know, whether it be the extra inning games where they're two and six, <laughs> you know, they got mollywhomped by the the Blue Jays. So they're two and ten in interleague. Mm-hmm. Like there's just some weird record things that have happened. Uh, obviously, the run differential comes into play with those really lopsided games. But I'm curious if there is some course correction. And I'm sure Alex Anthopoulos and them are looking at the exact same stuff. They're like, we're just, you know, <laughs> we, we our longest win streak is four. You know, but we're just like a five or six game winning streak, and the Mets stumbling out of the blocks, and we're right back in this thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Mets have the Pirates, but the Braves didn't really take care of business against the Pirates either. No, um, no. So I, I, I don't see it now. Could they sell at all? Sure, but I don't see this like move everyone out, bring in you know, bring bring in a whole new batch, and we're just gonna you know, mm-hmm. we're just gonna play this season with with uh with scraps i just i just don't think it's gonna
0: happen no and i can tell you and because i can't tell you the last club that did it that i would not expect the trade all the veterans play all the kids and that's just the way the rest of the season is going to go i just don't see that happening and again i think it's there's a little more nuance over the next at least couple of weeks to really try to determine if there is a little bit of that course correction i just went and looked at the Braves baseball reference page just to see what the playoff odds are listed as we sit here recording this on friday afternoon Uh, Just under 26% odds to make it to the postseason. I think that the road to the postseason for the Braves is through the National League East because that wild card, given how the teams in the West are playing, that's just not a wide open door, even that second spot. Uh Putting that aside, if you look at their Pythagorean one loss uh, record, 46 and 43, because they do have a plus 19 run differential, which is great. But you can refer to my earlier tweet about when you score 20 runs in a game twice, that will definitely do some wonders for your run differential but of course they've taken a few on the chin none as bad as the ones they've handed out though but that's a whole different discussion and, and maybe we've already had that I've believed at times that the Braves are better than their results but as the season has worn on and injuries have mounted and the loss of Marcelo Zunoff by both injury and his own legal issues that he's dealing with now that is not going to be something that's going to uh, positively affect the Braves in any way shape or form I'll just leave it at that then losing Ronald Acuna Jr. for the year—that is a huge blow, the biggest blow that the Braves could possibly have faced—and that's something they're having to deal with now. Not getting Mike Soroka back doesn't help either, and other injuries to Waskari Noah, to Travis Darno, and to others that have destabilized areas of the club that very much needed those players to be there. It, it kind of is what it is. But the Braves at 44 and 45—that's not a far cry from if their expected one loss was, you know, 46 and 43. I think you would take that all things considered. Being four games out of the division at the All-Star break, they've certainly been further behind and in a not too distant memory either. But this just hasn't been the season, I think, that the Braves thought that they were getting and that Braves fans thought that they were going to get hot off the heels of making it to the National League Championship Series last year. And that, I think, is still in the backs of the minds of most and it has magnified, I believe, the disappointment because a lot of the same club that was on board last year came back this year, and it simply has not been the same performance by what we thought was the same model of car.
1: Yep, and the only reason we're even talking about this and that they're even in this division is because they don't have a Brewers, they don't have a Padres, a Giants, a Dodgers sitting in their division. The NL East has been. No one has wanted to run away with this division. The Mets have had all the opportunities in the world, and it hasn't happened. And the only reason we're having this discussion for – a sub 500 team at the all-star break is because the NL East has been at just in total, a disappointment. Um, the Marlins, I thought would be better this season. Uh, certainly the Phillies and nationals thought that they would, you know, be taking steps forward this season. So, um, you know, the Mets are, you know, 47 40 leading the division, but this is not insurmountable, at least not yet. Um, just a really disappointing season for Atlanta, but a disappointing season for the NL East. So, um the, the Braves are just hoping that uh, their disappointment is a little less than everyone else's when, when the race is over. But, yeah, I just it's difficult to just look at this team and say, yep, they have a run in them. Because yeah. with Ronald being out. That um, changes everything, in my it opinion. It changes everything. That injury changed the entire complexion, the, the energy of this entire season. But, um, you know, it, depending on injuries for other teams, depending on trades other teams make, It's not like all these other teams. It's not like the Mets are just going to stand pat. Um, We're going to see, but it's just been a really bad season for the NL East, and uh, I think Freddie at the start of the season said that it's the best division in baseball. Just hasn't just hasn't really worked out for anybody in this division, and it's the only reason the Braves still have a a fighting chance.
0: It really is. Now, what the Braves are going to be facing out of the All-Star break is going to be quite the challenge. They get the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the better clubs in the American League East, coming in. Then, of course, we know about the San Diego Padres. They're right in the thick of things out in the West. We're not surprised by that at all. They've got a very good club out there. That's six games at home. Then the Braves are going to play nine road games in eight days because they have four against the Phillies and five against the Mets. So a four-game set in Philadelphia, then a five-game set at City Field. That will conclude on the 29th. And at this point, we'll know where the Braves are going to be. That's 13 days from now in which we'll have a pretty good idea of if the Braves were able to run this gauntlet and come out of it having one, three of at least the four series and maybe splitting the other one, and that's what you're going to You have to win that series against the Mets, I think. You're playing five games in four days. You've got to take three out of the five. If you split with the Phillies, things could be worse, but can you really take two series back-to-back from the Rays and the Padres? That's really the situation the Braves have found themselves in at this point is they have to start winning series, and they have to start winning a lot of series in order to not only get above 500 but to stay above 500 and to get on that run that they want to get on to try to track down the New York Mets and maybe uh, prove to the front office if there's any doubt about what situation you want to be in come the trade deadline that, hey, we've got some fight in us. Don't give up on us yet. See what you can find to add to this club, and it's going to happen. But you know now we've reached that point where this isn't April the 16th or May the 16th or June the 16th. This is July the 16th. you got two weeks to the trade deadline. you got to make something happen.
1: They were never in chase mode in 2020, but it feels a lot more like 2020 in the sense of the urgency that every single game, that is placed on every single game now. Every single game, it's going to have, you know, you don't want to call anything must win, but you could certainly start approaching, you know, especially as the deadline inches closer and closer, you can start approaching series as must wins. In some ways, that does make it exciting. It, It does make for an interesting race, is that Right out of the gate, starting tonight, they have to start playing a lot better. And that urgency has to be much, much higher because uh, time is kind of of the essence. And I don't want to yeah. say time is running out. But it ain't on you, their side. We until September. No, exactly. Time is not on their side. So I'll be curious to see what that urgency looks like and how they approach every single game. And honestly, like the managerial decisions in every single game mm-hmm. of, you know, if you're trailing by one run in the seventh or eighth inning, like, you're still bringing in high leverage relievers. Like you're playing for wins. You're not saying, well, you know, we're down by one. It's the seventh inning. So I'm going to bring in a guy with a five plus ERA." Like, I think that the urgency has to be on not only the player side, but the managerial side. And we'll see on the front office side. You know, I think that this Jock Peterson trade shows a little bit of urgency from them Mm -hmm. uh, to do it before they get out of the break. And yeah, that whole thing will be fascinating going. It's really good teams. And it starts to get a little bit more playoff atmosphere that you're not just playing to be healthy and fresh the next day. No, you're playing for wins every single night and then you'll deal with the repercussions uh, as you move
0: forward. Mm -hmm. You just have to try to make the best decisions that you can. That of course includes the dugout. It's going to include the front office. And uh, when it comes to the Braves team, the only really decision they need to make is how much do we want to win this game by every night? I guess, I mean, how badly do we want it? I guess is what you're thinking about. And, I would imagine that down there, there's still some fire. I'm sure that Freddie Freeman has not given up on this season, doesn't want to mail it in the second week of July. That's just never been in his DNA. And I'm sure the same thing is true uh, for all the other Braves that are on the field out there. And I know just from hearing Ronald Acuna Jr.'s comments after suffering the injury and saying, look, I was already working out at, what, 500%? So now I'm going to give it 1,000% to get back (laughs) as soon as I can. That won't, of course, be this year, but these guys were still fighting. Even if this club has been very mercurial and up and down and, of course, very frustrating to watch on some nights, You know, they, I think, still believe that they had the opportunity at least, the chance at least, to start putting things together. But the time, of course, is now for the Braves if they want to make the noise that they need to make to say, hey, we can still win the National League East because, as I said before, and I'll say it again, I think that's their road to the playoffs. You can't sit back and think, all right, Uh, If we don't win the East, we'll back into one of these wildcard spots. That'll be fine. We'll jump into October some kind of way. I don't think anybody's thinking about that. And if they are, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to be as easy to get one of those wildcard spots. It doesn't look like this year, just because of what's happening in the National League West, if not all of the other uh, teams in the National League that, of course, will have eyes on getting into October some kind of way. So it's going to be interesting to see how the next two weeks plays out. And as always, Zach, it was very interesting going through all of the different stuff that we got through in this podcast. We covered quite a lot.
1: We did cover quite a lot, and I'm proud of us. We didn't make a single young jock reference or oh, pun we were throughout so good. the entire time, but we were uh, so get good. ready for those yeah. as we head into the second
0: half. I'm sure they're coming. I don't know if he's as young <laughs> a jock as he was back in the day, but the Braves, they needed a little bit of rock and jock in their lineup so they could get those well runs done. coming well at done. a little bit higher level. I'm going to leave it right there, but I appreciate your time as always, and I look forward to talking about what might be an interesting stretch for the Atlanta Braves before too long.
1: Thanks, man. Talk soon.
0: Well, that'll wrap us up on this episode of From the Diamond. As always, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please leave those ratings and reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. You can follow Zach on Twitter at Zach underscore Dillard. And you can find From the Diamond on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. So that'll do it for what was a very big edition of From the Diamond after a couple of week hiatus. We're going to be watching very closely what the Braves do over the next couple of weeks as we approach the trade deadline. And Atlanta decides if they're going to be buying or selling, maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. We're going to find out, though. We'll do it together. We'll do it right here on From the Diamond. So for Zach Dillard, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.